Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians, where Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have learned while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. On the previous episode, we spoke to the frugal physician about how to save more money. On today's episode, we talked to the real estate physician about how to invest that money. Dr. Cherry Chen is a real estate investor who has the realestatephysician.com website, and she tries to educate physicians as to why real estate is a reasonable investment and a good alternative to the stock market. We talk about the different types of investments and why she chose commercial multifamily as her mode of investment and why she finds this to be the least risky of all the different types as well as the different ways to invest between owning everything yourself, syndication, crowdfunding, and why she chooses syndication, and then how to identify a syndication that you can trust and why it's like finding a doctor. Welcome back to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. On today's episode, we have Dr. Cherry Chen. She is a practicing physician in Texas uh, who now spends a lot of her time investing in real estate and connecting other fellow physicians with that method of investing. So Dr. Chen, thank you so much for for joining us today to educate our listeners. Yes. Hi, Brad. Uh, Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here and looking forward to our conversation. So just to get to know you, um, where did you do your training? I trained, um, I went to medical school at Texas A&M. I'm from the Dallas area here in Texas. And then I did my internal medicine training at OHSU in Portland, Oregon. And um, now I'm back in Dallas where I'm from in a practicing internal medicine hospitalist. So are you practicing full-time? Yes, I'm practicing full-time as a hospitalist. That's correct. So the real estate thing has, I guess, become or at least started out as your your side gig. So you're doing this on top of practicing full time. That's that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's correct. I'm kind of lucky in that way that a hospitalist, you know, schedule kind of affords you, you know, 15 or 17 shifts a month. So there's definitely time outside of that. And um, you're right. It's kind of started out as, you know, definitely my own personal investment um, for myself and kind of just grew organically as I talked to other physicians. Um, so that's where I'm now. So how, how did you get there? First, tell us how you got started in real estate and then where you've taken it from your own personal investing to expand it to offering it to others. Sure. Yeah. So I would say, you know, my story started about, you know, three to four years ago, as far as, you know, investing in real estate, that's kind of when I you know, finished my training and started making more money as an attending. Um, And kind of, I think as we're all aware, we didn't get any, you know, investment or financial education um, through our schooling. And so as I made more money, you know, it really was, um, I put a concerted effort into, you know, wanting to see how my money could work for me. And um, in the financial word, the fancy word is, you know, cash flow. It means just means how much money you keep in your bank account at the end of the month. Because I think when we graduate, you know, we think, oh, we make more money, we have high income as physicians. But 
uh, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And um, that was a new concept for me as I kind of started exploring, well, what makes a good investment? And um, it was through that process and that context of, you know, being more proactive about my finances now that I'm um, out of training. And um, in that context, I started exploring what other options there were um, for investing. And that's how I kind of uh, stumbled upon real estate. What do you mean stumbled upon? Sure. So I think, you know, for most of us and for me, we, uh, I had investments in my 401k or stocks and bonds or your IRA account. That was kind of basically what was really kind of, I thought the only option um, because it's all we ever heard or heard about other people investing in. And nobody talked about, oh, I invested in real estate, you know? So um, for me, when I looked, you know, I had certain criteria that I thought would be important. And it wasn't like I had, you know, like my A to Z criteria defined from the very beginning, but I kind of, as I was exploring other options, you know, I realized, you know, what would make a good investment. And you think about investing in the stock market, most people, you know, I don't know, it's kind of the de facto or default. So we don't really consider it as a risky investment. Um, But, you know, when we talk about alternative investments, which is what real estate would be considered, you know, a lot of people always say, oh, isn't that risky? Um, So it really depends what, what you mean by risk. I would say, the differences being in, in Wall Street, um, you know, you could wake up tomorrow and it's, you know, the whims of the market. So it's definitely volatile and unpredictable. And it doesn't really, you know, put money in your pocket at the end of the month, you know. So those two two factors being the stability and predictability of what an investment I think should be and uh, it bringing cash flow, meaning your money is actually working hard for you uh, independent of your time. Um, real estate was able to to do that when I kind of explored and fit my criteria in that way. So I would say stumbled upon in terms of, I didn't really go out seeking, uh, knowing real estate was a good option in that way. So I guess more discovered um, than, than stumbled upon, because it looks, it sounds like you did a lot of research in order to arrive at this conclusion. Correct. Correct. I, yeah. I'm an internist, so it's like, I have to know everything. <laughs> So I, you know, Googled till the ends of the earth, um, did all the, try to educate myself as much as possible. And, and that's kind of how I came to define my criteria on what I- Right. I think the risky, kind of like uh, when we have our patients, they're nervous about something. And a lot of times they're nervous about it because they don't understand it or, you know, they don't know what the outcome is going to be. And so it's the not knowing that makes you nervous. And so what you did is you mitigated that by educating yourself. When those people are saying, well, isn't it risky? It's a lot, well, you know, the, it's, the, it's the lack of knowledge that breeds anxiety. So, but historically, is, are you aware of any comparison of the market to the real estate market, like the, the, the stock market to the real estate market? Right. I would say, I mean, real estate is really broad and we'll probably go into like, you know, the different categories of it later. So when I talk about my investments and in, in the, the niche I focus on is c- called commercial real estate, um, the most basic example being like an apartment complex, a commercial grade meaning it's greater than five units. And so it's a big uh, apartment complex and um, there that 
So that's kind of the investment vehicle I came across that I thought uh, met all the criteria. And so that's kind of where I focus on. So you're saying historically, commercial multifamily real estate tends to be fairly stable. And just for the listeners, because I found this confusing, commercial sounds like nobody's going to live there, right? Commercial property sounds like something where there might be retail stores or industry, but um, commercial multifamily specifically refers to homes that contain greater than five units. Correct. And, and, and for that's, you know, apartments, it doesn't necessarily have to be homes. There are things like you'll see, you know, your self-storage facilities that are in your neighborhood. Some places have uh, mobile home parks. Those are all considered commercial because it's generally greater than five units. Okay. Um, but for most of my, for most of, you know, the talk, we'll be talking about uh, apartment complexes. Cause I think for many people, when you think about real estate, you think, oh, well, there's a single family rental. I wanted to go you know, buy a condo and rent it out on Airbnb or something. So uh, there's some distinct differences when you go from a single family um, to a commercial grade multifamily apartment property. And the number there is the, the magic number is greater than five. So if it's anything less than five, you know, you're, you're dealing with maybe a duplex or an individual apartment or an individual house. Um, and then uh, just for completeness, because we had spoken about this before, uh, you can also invest in industrial, so like a uh, an office building, or you can invest in a retail establishment. And not knowing, again, I'm I don't have any uh, full disclosure. I have zero real estate investments right now. Uh, I would think that retail might not be the safest place to be, considering how much people purchase online and the direction that that's, uh, that's heading. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, you're correct. Those are all, um, you know, you know, real estate, uh, commercial real estate uh, investment options. And, you know, primarily why many of the uh, commercial real estate is focused on apartments. And like you said, because well, retail, so many people are buying online. Well, there's always going to be the demand for housing um, and, now there's a demographic trends where you know millennials will and they want the mobility and it's not back in the day where oh well you had an employer for 30 years and so um, people like the idea of being mobile and not you know saving up 30 years to buy their one home that they're going to live in forever. So multifamily as far as an investment um, vehicle has been really popular because it's kind of intuitive. You understand it. Uh, people need a place to live. Um, and they pay rent and um, what expenses you have at the end, that's your income for the property. So why do you find commercial multifamily to be the the one that you've chosen as the, the safest or most advantageous investment? Yeah, um, I think so every- just, Sorry, not to be redundant. You just mentioned why you think it's safe because people are are, are mobile and they, they, they want to be mobile and they, they want to be able to move around. And also people are getting married later and having families later. Um, and so they're going to be, want to spend more time being mobile. I mean, we all had between all of our schooling, tons of right, move. Exactly. Um, yeah. um, but, but financially, uh, what has right. been your experience and what has driven you towards that investment? 
Right. So I think, you know, so for me, my criteria is one being, I think a good investment should at least be somewhat stable, predictable, um, and have, you know, uh, cash flow as an investor. I want my money to work for me and give me returns. So, you know, just comparing it simply to, for example, if you had a single family rental um, versus an apartment complex, you know, like a one door versus an 100 unit uh, apartment complex. Um, the, you know, if you, if your tenant moved out tomorrow from your single family home, you would go from, you know, 100% occupancy to zero, you know, uh, in a, in an apartment complex, if I have a hundred units and two people move out, I'm still at 98% occupancy, right? So losing those two tenants, um, I might have a slight decline, but I would still expect a pretty stable return of my investment um, as an investor who has, you know, invested into the property. If you had your single family, uh, your tenant moves out, then your cash flow is basically zero, right? And every month that you're spending to uh, find a tenant is 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 zero income, or is the 100 unit property you still have negative. cash flow? Because right. you're, you're yeah, because you're still spending money on mortgage repairs, upkeep, uh, yeah, all the all everything that goes into it, yeah. Right, and so in your apartment, you still have 98 tenants paying you rent, um, you know, and so. The basically the, the main advantage of having multiple units is you have the economies of scale and you can leverage that um, into, into a business operation. And for I think for physicians and investors, the, the, the nicest thing about that is I don't have to be the landlord and I can um, pull my money together with other investors into a business um, and that gives me you know return on my investment. Yeah, we talk about the desire to have passive income. Right. And if you own an apartment and you're the landlord, that is not passive. That is the opposite of passive because then all the upkeep and management and finding new tenants and and even if you outsource that labor, uh, which actually you can do, I think it bears mentioning uh, there, I think it's called turnkey investments where you just get a management company and they, they try to flip a house and they can, they'll manage the property and they'll flip it and it, they'll, they'll use your money to, to do that. Um, you still have that higher risk of what you're talking about of if that goes unoccupied, then you are, it's a losing proposition. So, um, so the, there are a bunch of different ways that you can invest in these commercial multifamily buildings. You can own it yourself, which seems unlikely on a physician income. Right, for anybody, um, even really. if you're a super successful uh, plastic surgeon or neurosurgeon. Yeah, I mean, even for anybody, it's it's yeah. Hard. You're not buying an apartment building, right? Probably. Um, uh, then you can uh, there's there's syndications, there's crowdfunding, and you can still invest in real estate in the market. Uh, they're called REITs, R-E-I-T, but. Um, so owning yourself seems pretty straightforward if you're not doing just buying it yourself or finding one of those turnkeys, which might be in a, a different episode altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, there are syndications and there's crowdfunding. Can, can you talk about what both of those are? Yeah. So um, syndications is, is, is the way I invest in these real estate opportunities. And for people who have never heard the word, because I had never heard of that word, um, you know, but it's just a, you know the fancy word in this uh, real estate world where they're pulling multiple uh, investors or um, multiple investors' money um, into uh, a company that would purchase the apartment complex. Because like we said, most people do not have 
$10 million to go buy an apartment complex all on their own. So in a syndication, um, the way it works is you have these um, deal sponsors who who will talk to the brokers, who will go look at the apartment complex, who will verify the rent roll, look at all the financials and, and find an apartment complex they think would be a good investment. Um, and then they, they, the deal sponsors, then they need to find the money in order to purchase the complex. Now, in, in the syndication commercial world, it is still 75% leverage, meaning the bank finances and is the biggest partner in the transaction. But the, the deal sponsors still need to find 25% or so of the money. And that's when they would go to, you know, for example, me, an investor who's interested in, in real estate, but I don't want to manage and I want to be able to be part of a bigger uh, apartment complex. So then they would go to investors um, and um, to pull the money together to syndicate to complete the transaction. So that's a syndication where uh, one, you as a passive investor are, or a limited partner in this, in this uh, transaction um, get to reap the benefits of the investment and share in the profits. And um, you are not at risk of, you know, you're not signing the loan, you're not doing all the, all the work of managing the property. And so you're a passive investor, you kind of basically collect what they call mailbox money when the apartment makes money and they distribute it to the investors. So in a syndication model, you actually have direct access to the deal sponsors. You can communicate with them. You can ask them questions. You can verify things. The, the crowdfunding model is similar in that you know you still have these deal sponsors who go out to look for deals, but they're not coming directly to the passive investors. You'll see you know crowdfunding websites where it's just you know a website with a platform of a, of like a multitude of investment opportunities. Um, so you're not directly talking to the sponsorship team. You're just kind of browsing, you know, a whole bunch of opportunities and seeing, oh, well, hey, this says there's a 10% return. Well, that looks good to me. Um, so it's, it's a more indirect way to invest where you don't have um, that direct relationship with the sponsor. So there's no right or wrong way. And everyone's investor, you know, trust or risk profile is different. The, the only other major difference is the, the crowdfunding has a um, le less minimum investment where you'll see on these sites where it's a thousand or ten thousand dollars to invest or syndications where um, it, the minimum investment is usually about fifty thousand so that's also another major difference so when you're choosing a syndication because that's typically your method of investment how do you vet them? Yeah, so it's um, you have to through a syndication, uh, you have to know the sponsors, right? That's the only way you would hear about the opportunity to invest. It's not, it's not advertised. Um, it's not on the crowdfunding site. It's not you know Wall Street where you just pick something. So there's multiple ways um, investors can go to their local meetup local apartment meetup where these uh, deal sponsors will be at and you can meet them pers personally like that or you meet somebody else on the team and invest that way and or um, that's that's really the only way um, is to meet them either directly or indirectly um, to find out about the investment so when we first met I asked you a question and you had a very interesting way of answering it and you know, the question was, how do you know that you can trust 
the syndication and you said the same way that you can that you know that you trust your doctor right like if you're tr- tr- if you're trusting the syndication with upwards of $50,000 right your 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 analogy was well you're trusting your physician with your life so you know this if a lot of people find me by going to their town facebook group you know they'll go to the facebook group and say hey does anybody know a good ENT and sometimes my name pops up uh, and so they they come and see me and so i guess you'd find your syndication in a similar way except that you could have your i guess could you could you have your accountant look at their books and make sure that the you know everything that they've done with previous deals was all on the up and up and uh, you know is that type of stuff the, the the type of thing that they make public to you right yeah the the physician patient analogy is something you know i was trying to find like a good like a good um, pertinent way to explain it. It's like if you were the uh, investor talking to the deal sponsor uh, as opposed to physician patient, right? And and we're managing people's health, um, you know, and versus they're managing an investment, but you're putting in significant amount of capital into the investment. How do you trust? That's like one of the biggest, um, I think, barriers or issues we come across when you come up, you know, come across an investment opportunity. And so, the, you know, it's, it's just like how we, how patients see us, they, you know, like you said, indirectly, they see you on Facebook. Well, they see that you went to, uh, you know, XYZ school, you went to this residency training, you are accredited at this hospital. So indirectly you have, um, you have this, you know, uh, track record or reputation in the same way, these deal sponsors, they have prior deals they've done they have, you know, other complexes they've owned and you can review all of that and, and you don't even have to go through your CPA. The, the beautiful thing about the syndication is you ask them directly um, because you are going to be a potential investor. You have the right to ask all these questions and um, they, they, you, you, you ask them directly. You can say, well, hey, you know, and uh, sponsor you, you projected that it's, this will return 10% next year. Show me how you got there, you know, or show me why you think this apartment can rent for $1,000 uh, a month rather than maybe 800. You can ask them all those questions. Um, but if they had, if they, let's say they put together a building and it was doing poorly, mm-hmm. right? Right. They wouldn't want to tell you about that. Is there a way to access that type of information? And a way to access that, um, there is no, you know, database where you can put in, oh, sponsor XYZ's name and, you know, all their deals would pop up. Um, um, now, most of them will have websites where they put in all their properties that they, you know, acquired. So that's a way to go to their website to say, hey, well, tell me about this property and, and what's been going on, you know? And, you know, another way is, you know, uh, invest just like patients, you know, they, they say, oh, well, you know, Dr. XYZ referred to me. Oh, my friend came to you and they really, you know, uh, loved you as their physician. So that's how I found out about you. You can talk to other, um, other in, uh, investors that have invested with them. They can say, well, hey, even um, they treated me really well or they did not treat me well. And so there's other, other investor testimonials you can do too. So I think trust, you know, in this way, uh, it was a question for me as well, but, you know, one that I could verify their records, um, the fact that the apartment is a business, they can't uh, make up these numbers. They look at the financial statements, they look at 
the income and expenses. And those are things you can ask for and verify yourself. Um, and so that for me, and, and looking at things a very objective way, um, you know, so that kind of helped me overcome that, um, the trust issue. Can you do that with crowdfunding? With the crowdfunding, I do not believe you can do that. I don't, I've never invested via a crowdfunding. So I don't know the step-by-step process of the way that works, you know? So I don't want to misguide um, the, the, um, the listeners because um, I've never done it step-by-step myself. Okay. And I think uh, that's, that's fair. And thank you for, for, for admitting that that's, that's much appreciated by, by everyone. Um, for, for crowdfunding though, I just, and correct me if I'm wrong and you know, you've never done it, but I think they can advertise where syndications can't. And so syndications thrive off of their reputation in these introductions, right? You, you find syndications that have done well, you introduce them to other potential investors. With crowdfunding, they have these websites and they can just advertise and you, because you can find them this way, they're not, they don't need that word of mouth reputation. Um, it's kind of like, um, I guess, actually, I'm having trouble thinking of analogy, I guess, I guess uh, physicians advertising versus just, just, you know, before the days of advertising, there was just word of mouth. And if you had some bad outcomes, then that would get around and then, you know, you're, you're kind of sunk. Um, it, it, do you know if that's true of, of crowdfunding? Yeah. So the only one exception to what you said is, you know, through syndications, you know, the sponsors, um, they're through a syndication, there's two ways they can raise money. You know, like we said, the first way is where they, you, you, they directly know the investors, uh, you know, through their circle or the, the other way that they can legally advertise it is they, if they made what we call a 506, uh, C offering and that just it's a it's an SEC term and that in that way when they are only advertising to a specific uh, investor what they define as an accredited investor um, then they don't have to have that relationship or know you ex- exactly so there's that one exception okay um, you, you're making a pretty convincing argument for investing in commercial multifamily real estate through syndications. Um, but I think there's uh, more of an argument to be made, right, in terms of the tax advantages of these investments, because, you know, high income individuals pay a lot in taxes, although our, uh, we're not going to get political, but our current president and his son-in-law involved in real estate, turns out, don't pay much in taxes. And that's not, you know, I, again, not political. Uh, that's not through tomfoolery or trickery. Some of it may be, but it, it seems that it's on the up and up because of how real estate operates, that somehow you can protect your investments from, or you, you protect your, yourself from taxes. So, so can you talk about some of the tax advantages of investing in real estate? Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, obviously not an accountant. And so I don't know the, the exact ins and outs, but on a very, you know, like basic level that I understand it as an investor myself is that um, because it, you're investing in real estate and real estate, you know, in the government's eye is something that they want to promote investors to invest in because one, 
you know, we talked about it provides housing, it provides jobs, it provides for growth in a city and a community. Um, and they want they want um, investors, um, people out there to provide housing for these people. So government provides incentives um, to promote activities that they want to promote, whether we believe it or, you know, feel for or against it. So the, the advantage of investing in real estate, which people commonly say, you know, you can have tax-free income. Um, and that's coming from, as a real estate, you get depreciation um, of, of the property, of the building, um, of the equipment. And so when the government, the IRS allows uh, the accountants or you know the business to take that depreciation of these properties and buildings over time, that often will offset the income you get from your investment. And that's how um, you know they come up with the term tax-free income. This is how I'm understanding depreciation. And correct me if I'm wrong. You buy a building, kind of like buying a car. As soon as you drive it off the lot, Correct. it starts to lose value because the building is aging. So it, the building is losing value. It's depreciating. And so it's almost like if you lose um, capital losses in the, in the market, you can deduct your losses. You now have capital losses because your building has depreciated. So even though you built the building a year ago, it's a year older and it's depreciated. And, and so that capital loss can be deducted from your, your taxes. Correct. Is that what depreciation uh, is? Yeah. Like the building. Um, and, and so in commercial real estate, the IRS allows you to kind of deduct that over like a, you know, the cost over 27 years or something like that. So, you know, you know, just think about how much money that is for an apartment, like a hundred unit apartment complex, you know? And so that depreciation is often much larger than uh, your income that you get as an investor. So um, whatever passive income you get, if that's less than the depreciation of the building, um, then you don't pay taxes, even though you have earned some income, correct, on your investment. So wait, let me see if I'm understanding this. Because I, I used to live in Long Island City, which is right across the East River from Manhattan. There are some gigantic, fancy buildings there that mm -hmm. might have 800 units. And I'm just making up a number here. Yeah, yeah. Let's say one of those buildings is worth $100 million. Mm -hmm. You're saying in the eyes of the government, after 27 years, that building is worth zero. So it, so it has depreciated to nothing? Oh, so I, I didn't mean it in 27. It's like, um, so let's say for instance, and these are just totally made up numbers, right? Like for instance, this a hundred unit complex building, the, the building itself, you know, is a million dollars. You can't really say I'm going to take a million dollars, um, on your, uh, on your tax form this year, you take that million, you divide it over a 27 year term. And that's the amount, you know, you can legally maximally deduct on your, on your tax form. That's what I meant by the 27 years, not, not saying the, you know, what you were talking about. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That definitely makes more sense. Right. And so of course I'm, these are just totally made up numbers, but on a general basic level, that's kind of what people mean when they say, 
oh, well, there's, um, there's the tax advantage of investing in real estate. Because if you, through, through um, your Wall Street, through stocks and bonds, any gain is you know, taxed as your ordinary income, which is a lot uh, for many of us. And so, and that's also the same if you invest in real estate through REITs because it's part of Wall Street. So that's the tax advantage of investing in real estate in this way. Have you had any experience with your buildings being uh, financed by the banks in in terms of non-recourse loans? Have you been in that situation? Yes. And actually, you know, uh, the I would say probably... I wouldn't want to say 100%, but most of these, majority of these uh, properties are non-recourse loans through the bank who finance about 75% um, of these transactions because, um, you know, and that's kind of another layer of, you know, if you want to say, how do you vet an investment? Because, you know, banks are conservative and they're out to make money. And for, for them, they see apartments or these properties as quote unquote safe investments. And so they actually finance about 75% um, of the purchase price when you, when you purchase a building like this. So, you know, they do their own underwriting, they do their own analysis, and they come up with what the, what the purchase price or the value of the building is worth themselves. So they, the, these properties are majority non-recourse financed. So if the whole thing goes under, you don't own this. Just to clarify, this is what non-recourse means. If the whole thing, for whatever reason, like let's say, right, some of us believe that the market is a bit frothy right now and we're at the mm-hmm. precipice of potentially something bad. Um, if that happens and and the building doesn't get built, um, then what happens to that 75% that the bank has lent us? Right. So I would say, so the, you know, the, so we talked about non-recourse, the other side is recourse loan, you know, so what non-recourse means, like you said, is, well, then we don't have to hit you. You're not uh, liable to the bank for this loan. The only one exception and is that if for one reason you're committing outright fraud, you know, or um, it's called what they call the bad boy carve out. If you're not acting, you know, in, in quote unquote, normal behavior or committing fraud, then that kind of cancels out the non-recourse, the, the not, then you would be held liable as in that you being the deal sponsor, not you as a limited partner, because you're not signing on the loan. I think if you do something to the property as well, like if you, something toxic or something happens on, on the property, something environmentally unsound happens on the property. I think that's another reason. Yeah. So there's, there's certain reasons, but those are, you know, far few in between the environmental toxins is if if the banks found out about that and that would be definitely before it was even an investment available to investors if the banks saw that and it, they would not lend to purchase the property to begin with and so that's probably what you're talking about okay well if i had a friend who was investing in their 401k and maybe they were trying to dabble in the market try and beat the market, which we know can't be done. Um, what would you say to, to send, and, and maybe just had some finances that were being managed by a financial advisor that they found because uh, they, they bought them lunch at, uh, when they were a resident and gave a talk that sounded good, had a nice suit. Yeah. Um, what would you say to that friend who feels that 
their money is as safe as it can be mm-hmm. in the market with this educated uh, and informed financial advisor to get this person to start investing in real estate? What's your what's your elevator pitch to that? Um, I don't know. So I don't, I don't have an elevator pitch. And I say that because one, I'm not, you know, I don't ever want to convince somebody to invest in commercial real estate. And, you know, we can talk about all the benefits and, and why I thought it was a good investment vehicle, but, you know, it's, it's like, you know, if your friend went to an advisor, it's like, nobody really understands your financial situation, um, and, and what your, your financial needs are more than yourself. You know, nobody cares more about your money more than yourself. And so I really would say, you know, what I've always said to, you know, other friends or families, colleagues, what to me, the most really important is that, you know, what is your investment philosophy or what is your criteria? Because one, you know, your friend might be right. And, you know, him going to have his advisor is probably the safest because maybe, Um, His or her goal is to say, I just want enough for retirement. And if I put a certain percentage of my income every year into, um, you know, a quote unquote, stable, safe mutual fund, I will have enough for retirement. Correct. And he wouldn't need to look outside of of that vehicle. But, um, you know, for me, and I think for most of us, it's that you we don't want to work forever, right? <laughs> At least I don't want to work forever. I love medicine and I'll be in it for a very long time, but I want the option um, of, you know, if I needed to for some unusual life circumstance, you know, with family or friends, my loved ones that, well, maybe I can work fewer clinical hours, but we just want the option to have more non-clinical time to spend with our family. So that's why I um, real estate was really attracted to me because one, um, you know, quote unquote, predictable income and the cash flow. Um, and you don't get that no matter how much money you earn, um, if you don't keep that. And one, if you're really good at saving, but two, you'd have to work forever. And, and that's why I'd say, you know, if real estate has the advantages and the criteria, if you're looking for passive income so that you can have the option to choose to work less, should you choose to. So you get your investment, uh, hopefully uh, appreciates because you know the value of real estate appreciates. Uh, but then you're also getting income through rent. So um, you know you're you're in the same way that that your investment, hopefully in the market, appreciates. Your investment in the real estate appreciates, but you're also getting that that rent. So that's um, I think important to delineate that specifically. Yeah. And so certainly the appreciation, if you look at all these, you know, is the syndication investments, it's uh, the good deal sponsors will not, you know, hope for that. Like, you know, you, uh, they, they don't anticipate that, that it's like an extra bonus. So what are some of the resources that you consume or that you would recommend that our listeners consume if they want to start getting, like like you said, you Googled to the ends of the earth so that you could be more comfortable with this. Um, So save us the time of Googling to the ends of the earth. What uh, are either the resources that you consume or the the resources, either a podcast that you listen to, aside from mine, of course, or... um, or a book or a blog or something that we can read to better educate us efficiently. Um, aside from, 
I, I think every real estate um, podcast with a physician I've heard mm-hmm. mentions uh, Robert Kurosawa's Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah. So I, we can't end this without mentioning that Rich Dad Poor Dad, Robert Kurosawa, change your philosophy on on money. So aside from that, um, what would you recommend? I would say um, if it depends. So one, if you think if if you know your criteria and you know what you're looking for. Um, even if you didn't. So one of the nicest resources out there is probably Bigger Pockets. I don't know if you've heard of it or are familiar with that. It is a very active real estate community where people contribute all the time. Um, and, and whether it be you want to do single family, uh, multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, the whole gamut of real estate, there's somebody involved in it one way or another on that site and they contribute regularly. So I think that's a very great starting point. Um, and, you know, you can browse the forums and find something that uh, fits your specific question. Um, and two, I, you know, you know, the point of going to these meetups or, organi- or conferences is you, you build relationships with people who, who, are it, who have done this or, or are doing what you want to do. So the, the other way is, you know, oh, talk to other physicians um, who have invested before and or, or whatnot. And that's kind of why I wanted to start, you know, my website um, and company because I talked to so many physicians and one, you know, I don't know if you identify with this because I did too in the very beginning, I didn't want to start a company. I just wanted to invest. But physicians, one will say, oh, I don't have the time to go to all those conferences. And even if I did have the time, I'm not going to, you know, you want to spend time with your family, you know, and friends and, and you don't have the time to, like you said, go to the ends of the earth. And so that's kind of one of the main reasons why I um, built the website to help answer these questions and one to share this kind of investment opportunity with physicians that um, we don't really hear about so often. And where can people find you? The um, so my website is www.therealestatephysician.com, and really it's just um, a platform, like I said, that kind of grew organically out of all the conversations I had, and was a way for me to kind of systemize it and have a platform to share. So if people um, are interested in commercial real estate, they can just go to that site to learn a little bit more, and that's about it. And I'm always happy to answer any questions or I talk to people all the time about this. If they just want to call me or email me any questions, they don't have to sign up on my website and they can just email me cherry at the real estate physician.com to do that. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention today that we didn't get to? I don't think so. Um, I, you know, I really, the, the one thing I would say is that I, like you said, we sometimes as physicians just leave, you know, our investments to advisors, but I really would, um, you know, not, not to say they don't do a good job, but really just at least in your framework or mindset, be more proactive about your financials, whether it be, well, you know, understand a little bit more about the stocks you're in or one, um, you know, think about, do you need cash flow? Do you not need cash flow? So just be more proactive. Then you can set the criteria for what you're looking for. Um, and I think that's been really helpful for me. So, yeah, I think you're totally right. I think it's, it's so easy for us to just, we got on this path, we got on this train, right? Good scores, good grades, med school, residency, seeing patients, you know, just going through life, doing what we were supposed to do. Um, it's, you know, we're, we're now 
being financially rewarded for it, uh, some more than others. And uh, to just assume that someone else, to just trust someone else with that income without educating yourself. There's so much information out there. It's so accessible. And there are plenty of places. It's not opaque. Right. This stuff is not that complicated. <laughs> it's really fairly easy to understand. And a lot of these industries exist to try and make themselves opaque so that they seem necessary, right? A lot of these, there's a lot of, there are a lot of salespeople out there and, and it's not that hard to educate ourselves. So we really need to do it so that you know what your money is doing, you know where it's going, and you can then not be afraid to get a little more involved in it. And, and, and then it also, it's, it's a lot more interesting than, than, uh, than many people think it is. So, um, Dr. Cherry Chen, the real estate physician, thank you so much for taking the time today. It has been a pleasure. No problem. Thank you so much, Brad. It was a pleasure. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Find all previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and write us a review. You can also visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash physician's guide to doctoring. If you are interested in being a guest or have a question for a prior guest, send a message or post a comment.